MLHS podcast. My name's Ian Tullig. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli as always. Anthony, we're recording this the night after Toronto versus Winnipeg, which was a game. I could describe it in many ways. A lot's been written about it. There have been a lot of tweets. There's been a lot of online discussion, player safety and officiating, and a lot of things that I love discussing. How are you feeling right now? Sheldon Thief. Finally, I love you. That oh, was did he, everything. Did he say me. something and get fined? Absolutely. No, he should have said something and got fined. But I only had two, I only had two concerns with everything that ha- other than like the fact that Sandine's knee got ran, which we'll get to. But beyond that, I only really had two concerns with any of the Leafs' response to it, which I'll also get to. But round of applause for Sheldon Keefe. The knee happened. It should have been a five in a game. It should have put the Leafs on a four on three power play. They should have already had a power play, by the way. They should have already had a power play, but they didn't. But that should have put them on a four on three power play for a full two minutes, plus the remaining power play time after that. And it should have been a five. And the ref didn't call it. And Keith referenced this after the game. And what he did during the game is he said, screw it. They're running our guys. Matthews just got mugged for some reason, got a coincidental Sandine's knee just went down. Yeah. We're within striking distance of this game, but I don't give a shit round of applause. Sheldon Keefe this is the exact kind of thing. I've been just waiting to see this team do for literally years. Like this is since Pat Quinn. This feels like, like Don Cherry talking about Fraser McLaren and Colton or it's I just... not, it's not though. It's not is at it some a... point you have to say enough at some point you have to say enough. And Sheldon sat on the bench, stood on the bench, whatever. And he said, I'm done. I'm done. Kyle Clifford, tap on the shoulder. Wayne Simmons, tap on the shoulder. We all understood what happened. Jason Spets on the shoulder to go run uh, Pionk and give him a knee to the head. That wasn't very smart. It probably wasn't very smart, but good for Spets for taking a run at a guy like that. I love that he felt the need to do something about it. And I think when it comes to leadership in Toronto, it's weirdly been Spezza in a lot of key moments. It's always he went Spezza. too far. He went way too far. There's a way to do that without kneeing a guy in the head, but I can I understand why his intention, but Pionk went down and he was like, screw it. I'm already here. Well, his suspension hasn't been announced yet, but it's going to be longer. And as much as it frustrates me, given the sequence of events and how this all could have been prevented with proper game it. management. I also I understand it. it. If I'm legally making this decision, the guy who's intentionally trying to hit someone and going out of his way versus Pionk stuck out the knee. And I know that that was mentioned in the video. And maybe this is a separate issue altogether, but I don't think kneeing is severely punished enough in the NHL. It doesn't get called on the ice very often, as we saw the other night. And even afterwards, two games. That could have ended Sandine's season. It could have ended his career. It's a very dangerous hit. It's so dangerous. I'm The fact that Sandine is only yeah. hurt for two to three weeks, I think is a big part of the reason I've calmed down. Because last and that's night... The, that's the early prognosis, but... We'll see. We'll see. I'm gonna that was Chris Johnston, crossed. and I tend to trust his reporting. So we'll see. We'll get more details in the coming days. But as of right now, two to three weeks, <laughs> compared to what I saw the other night, I thought his season was done. Here's my thing. Here's the round of applause, though, because I want to clarify on that. And I know that a lot of people take umbrage with this kind of thought, but like those two points did not matter at that point. The random obscure game in the beginning of December means jack shit. They played the night before and that was a sick game. We'll get to that. That was actually that was an unreal game. Can we also talk about their awful second period in that Jets game before any of these shenanigans? Because... That was a real hockey game where they didn't play well defensively. And that's 
they, they, okay. they've been playing some of the best hockey in, in the NHL, arguably been the best team over the last month. But that was a leaky period. And we haven't seen one of those in a long time. And and we will. But all that to say is I don't give a shit about two points against the Jets at that type of situation. The fact that they finally just went, you know what? Screw it. We're kind of tired of this. Let's just go up there. Let's just go out there and stick up for ourselves. And the coach actively encouraged it. I love it. The I don't referees think we've seen enough. I found that interesting that they got in the middle of both Simmons fights. That is absolute garbage. It's one of the dumbest things happening in the league. Logan Hero or Logan Stanley. I say <laughs> Logan Hero. Logan Stanley raising his helmet like he's a hero afterwards. So was circa <laughs> like Chris Neal, like 2003 in Ottawa, like loser shit, where like if his fight was even remotely a tie, you knew he was going to celebrate. Like he won the goddamn cup that night and scored the overtime winner. Did you see Just, Mark Shifley in the dressing room say there's nothing better than beating the Leafs? Of course. You sure? There's nothing better than of beating course. the Leafs? You can't think of a higher priority the, on your list right now? The, Try back checking Mark Shifley. The, like, the definition of small man syndrome is what occurred. That entire sequence of events from the Winnipeg Jets. I think Mark Shifley drives me insane for many other Look, reasons. And I, I'm just picking this to get mad at. But Logan Stanley took about five punches from Wayne Simmons, hid behind a linesman, and then celebrated with his helmet up in the air like he did something and or mattered in any capacity whatsoever. Can I we just, shift gears I here can't. and talk about the officiating now and the game no, management? Can, but can we appreciate that the Leafs actually responded? I'm still very happy with the fact that they actually responded because I've been watching this shit pretty much since the Pat Quinn era where they got dunked on and do absolutely nothing about it. And it, it's drip, it's drove me nuts for years. And I've called it out countless times. I've always said, You're going back to one. our podcast last year through the summer, like who cares about a December game? Who cares about November? Like these games don't I, really I joke matter. about it all They're the time. The I joke about it all the time when I'm writing about them and I'm going, okay, but, it's a Tuesday night game against yeah. the Ottawa Senators or it's a, it's a Wednesday night game against but, whoever. It doesn't matter. It, but often, but often they coach them like they do like to their detriment almost. It's like, yes, like I know that your odds will be increased by playing Matthews and Marner more, but like you don't need to play them 24 minutes because it really doesn't matter that much. Or like, hey, like one of your best players is playing like shit. And I know that on odds, it's better to just continue to play them through that funk in that game and see if they break out of it. But like, don't reward them for playing like shit. Like just play a depth player more. They haven't done any of that kind of stuff for years. The fact that they finally just went, you know what? We really don't care about this game. And the, and Keith pretty much all but admitted it in his post game afterwards. I think if they killed the penalty applause, and actually scored a goal, then maybe you'd start caring about hockey again. It didn't matter to me at that point. I was like, you know what? All bets are off. This is ridiculous. This is why I hate it's a total analyzing shit this show. kind of stuff. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. It reminded me of game two, Kadri, DeBrusque, and who refereed that game. And this is yeah, what I want to talk it's, about. It's the same ref, which is a joke. But can I just Brad say there Meyer. were only two Let's say things. His, name. his name's Brad Meyer. And yeah. I think we want accountability in this league. Jason Spets is going to serve a multi-game suspension. Neil Pionk, it's been decided it's two games. Simmons got come a out and take a fine. fine. Dubish should come Brad out and take Meyer's a fine. Brad Meyer's punishment for Sunday night's events? Because I think it's to be something. And... I understand how difficult it is to officiate a hockey game. It's these guys have the toughest job in the world. And when they make a mistake, it's broadcast on live television and everyone's calling them out for it. It's not an easy job, but I agree. It's not easy. I've said that countless times, but when you watch and I'll call it a mugging from a leaf side, but let's just say you call it an altercation between Dubois and Matthews. Let's generously call it an altercation, which it wasn't because it was really just one guy doing all the work but let's be generous and call it an altercation when that happens. And then right after that, you see a guy get need and he can't skate off properly. And you call nothing whatsoever. It How actually do you not call is them together as an officiating crew and decide that there was an event there that we need to penalize. Even if it's a two minute for kneeing, we see so many times two minutes for boarding, which by the way is a coward call. And we see it all the time. Drives yeah. me insane. But my point is, is it is an easy game to call at that point. It really is. Like, it's genuinely easy to just make the fucking call. It's right there. Just make it. Like, there's no, there's nothing difficult about calling that Pionk play. There's zero difficulty Pionk. whatsoever in calling that a penalty. 
one of the, that was a layup. That is easier than when guys shoot it over the glass. That is easier when a slash stick breaks in half, a layup, easiest call in the world. The only things I didn't like at all, Matthews needs to stand up for himself a little bit. Like, I'm just tired of watching him get ragdolled and just sit there. Like, he did the same thing against the Habs. Like, stand up for yourself. You're 6'2", 6'3". You probably weigh 230. Stand up for yourself. Like, at some point, like, guys are taking liberties on you like that. You have to you have to stand up for yourself. Can I go the other way? Sure. How many penalties do you think Austin Matthews has drawn this year? Because that one didn't count, apparently. I know what the... First of all, that's at even strength. But also, I know the answer. But that's not going the other way on what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, he's got to stand up for himself. I'm saying it's it's a league-wide issue when it comes to officiating star talent. When you look at the NFL and the way that they treat Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, Kyler yeah, but, Murray, they protect but, them. But is the answer for him to go limp and get ragdolled against you know a guy would who's be great? not? Yeah, I know. For Austin I Matthews understand. to draw one penalty this season. Or I for understand Connor your point. To draw but one penalty a, in the last two playoff series he played in. But is that is is that in his control? Does does My he control the rest? No, he does it. But does he control himself getting ragdolled on the ice like that? Is this where I'm on the Henrik Sedin side of things, where I'm telling the ref to call a penalty? Yeah, and how did that work out for him? It, do, it do I think Tim Peel is a great official? No. Do I think fine. that that's the way this league should be run? No, but apparently they do, and that's Never. what frustrates me. Yeah, but you can talk about overhauling the league as much as you want. I'm not debating or firing back. If there is any ever of the a time to saying. overhaul the league, this would be the year. Sure, go all that, but it's not going to happen, Ian. So let's just move on and just call it what it is. Stand up for yourself a little bit. He's capable. He's physically capable. You want him to drop? He the did the same and punch thing. Someone in the face. What happens if he breaks to, his hand? I want and him he to stand up for himself in some capacity. What happens if Dubois roughs him up and he pile drives him into the ice and he separates his shoulder and he's out for three months? Do you want McDavid fighting when someone tries doing rat McDavid shit with him? I don't. Himself. McDavid has. McDavid I want the referees to call penalties. And if of course there's a fight, I do. I'd like someone to third man in and not let Matthews fight. That's what I want because his hands I would, are the most valuable hands in Toronto right now. I would love for the refs to call it. I just think you're you're arguing a pointless thought like it just doesn't happen. So let's just get over it. But let's respond accordingly. By standing up for ourselves a little bit, like I said, it was the same thing against the Habs. See, you're saying Matthews needs to change. I'm saying officiating in the NHL needs to change. Yes. And yes, but one of those things is easier than the other to actually happen. And you should always protect yourself. I think everyone in any situation in any sport should protect themselves and not rely on officials. I think across, across pretty much any pro sport, I think sitting there and saying, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to pray to God that the official gets it right is an extremely silly and naive strategy. That's not at all the real world that we live in. And basically any facet of life, even outside of sports, I'm just going to pray to God that somebody else in a position of power bails me out. I think at some point you do actually have to protect yourself a little bit. See, I want, him to, I want him to leverage his speed, his strength, his skill. I want him to do, do all that to put pucks in the back of the net and to make sure the Leafs have the puck 65% of the time and don't have it 35% of the time. He's doing all that. Yeah, so but you're making it sound I like it's one or the other. You're making well, it's not if though, he but does you can what still you want him to do, yourself. you're probably taking him out of some games to do the hockey part. He did get taken out of that game. That game got completely no, I mean, taken you're over putting and him was at risk of irrelevant injury, anyway. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's what you want Austin Matthews doing. He is at risk of injury by not standing up for himself. That's my point. The only other thing that I didn't like, can I also just get this off my chest before you argue with me on it? No, I go Which I don't it. think you will. I don't actually think you will. Keith should have told Maurice to fuck himself. When How does that help? Maurice, what are we talking about? When I don't know if you saw it, Maurice clearly lost his mind on Keith in the middle, like after Keith put out Clifford and Simmons. Maurice lost his mind. Man, you could this is explicitly John Tortorella, Garrett Hartley. It's not. It's not drama. I. It's not. I don't really. Think the fact that it, the honest. fact that you don't incorporate it into the game is just wild. Like you're just like like as if they're robots out there on the ice and there's no emotion as to what happened. But Spezza, who has been around the league longer than pretty much both of us have been alive, still got fired up and emotional. And is going to get suspended based on what happened. It is still a game of emotion, and what Maurice did was garbage. 
the fact that he actually lost his mind on Keith after what, how his team conducted himself. I just wish that Keith just said, you know what? Screw you. There was a lot of garbage in that game. There was a garbage yeah. non-call on the Matthews offsetting minors. There was a garbage non-call on the Pionk hit, which was garbage. Spezza's hit on Pionk. I'll say it was garbage. I love Spezza. Yeah. It's a garbage hit. Uh, the rest but of if, that game was garbage. I, if, writing about if, it sucked. If one of your guys goes after the other team's best player and ragdolls him around the ice, and then the next shift pretty much, another one of your guys knee on knee hits a 21 year old and knocks him out of the game. And the shift after that, the coach puts out two guys to fight your guys. Would you sit there and yell across the other bench and be like, what are you doing? I'd be like, yeah, I understand why that happens. And I mean, I'm if I'm Paul Maurice, if I'm Paul Maurice, I'm, I'm putting Nick Ehlers on the ice a lot more often. And I'd, I'd probably be more worried about that than any of the other stuff, but yeah, sure. Maybe I, I'm more polite and not yelling at an opposing coach. I don't see how any of this matters, to be honest. I just would have liked to see Keith handle that a little bit different, that part of it. But like at the end of the day, I'm happy with how how he did it. I think you're wild when you just completely disregard those things. I think when you say I would just put out Nick, Nick Ehlers is how you get the Phil Kessel, John Scott thing that happens. I think it's completely like the fact that you're literally well, I'm, well, a fan no, and saw I'm, that I'm, happen. I'm, that's I'm not a shit. Joke about, that's a bad comment it, by you. I'm, I'm not clearly real. joking about Paul Maurice not playing his best player a lot throughout his. Oh, career. in that's... that part, then yes, I thought you were saying in that situation you would have saw Wayne Simmons and Clifford no, out there. No, in that situation, I'd probably have my fourth liners and Logan. Logan Stanley was out there, so that I don't, I don't know. It, it's the gamesmanship. It's the whole gamesmanship of everything. I just I don't know. I woke up this morning and I thought about it further. I'm like. As if Maurice actually yelled at Keith in that situation. Like, you got to be out of your mind, man. Like, watch, like, look at your team and the way they conduct themselves. And this goes back to last year with that bullshit run at Marner when he scored on the empty netter. And Marner didn't even go. And if you go back and watch that one, Marner didn't like try to fight him after or anything. He melted off to him after for sure, as he should. But he didn't like physically like, have a physical altercation. And Shifley just comes screaming down the ice like a hero ready for violence against Mitch Marner, who scored an empty netter and got ran for his troubles. I'm like, just a loser team, a complete loser team. If you're a Jets fan, you're talking about how how much it was a great leadership and and showing his teammates that he was there to stand up for him and do whatever it took. I don't know. I I don't find any value in analyzing any of this. With Pionk? Not. I, I feel like talking about all this doesn't make me any like I, I, I don't see how it improves my ability to analyze a hockey game. Yeah, but I think those things can often play a factor in putting bonding a team together or putting them apart. I think people lose sight of that. Like Buffalo has essentially ended being the Sabres for like a, almost a decade now, which can almost directly be traced back to the Milan Lucic Ryan Miller incident. I think those things, I like, I think it's funny that you mentioned the Sedin thing. I think if, if I think it would have been beneficial to Vancouver at that time, if well, Sedin yeah, just, stood up for himself. Philosophically, that's just kind of how I look at the sport. I'm mad at the state of affairs and I'd like to see them change. That's fair. I just don't think they will. I think everyone has these conversations every year or two. I just don't think it's real. So I think guys got to just be honest about what the situation is. Like, I don't see Sid, like Sid stands up for himself and Sid was like, hands down TM best player in the world for like almost a decade. Ovechkin's like legitimately challenging Gretzky's record. You think Ovechkin looks at officials when he skates out there? Ovechkin's like, did you see him destroy Connor Murphy last week? Ovechkin throws hits that Matthews wouldn't dream of throwing. Yeah, they're different players. That man is 30. But no, my point is like, he's not relying on anybody. Ovechkin's like, I am the violence. Like he's like (laughs) the breaking bad scene, you know? Like when someone knocks and there's a gun at the door, who do you think I am? I am the one who knocks. That's Ovechkin. Like he's not sitting there thinking about Malkin, one of the did dirtiest Gretzky players. Did do any of this stuff? Did like I, dude, no, but he had a guy running all time great. But he players. had a guy running shotgun with him that did all of it for him. Lemieux See, this famously is the got Martin crucified. Discourse. This is the stuff in hockey. No, that's that completely just, different. Uh, but you're but you're mentioning Gretzky. But Gretzky did have someone do all that for him. Gretzky was on. And that's fair. I guess the '80s were a different era than yeah. what we live in right now. Yeah, so you can't compare it to Matt Martin. Now, if, if Matthews had like prime Lucic on his wing or prime McGinley on his wing, go nuts. Do whatever you want. 
those guys will come in and just absolutely crush anyone that touches you or even looks at you the wrong way. Even prime Wayne Simmons. But like, that's not the case. Like you have to stand up for yourself. And most, most stars do when you actually go through the list of stars in the league, most of them actually have a little bit of dirt to them. Nikita Kucherov comes to mind. Kucherov is extremely dirty. Evgeny Malkin has been low-key, very dirty for over a decade now. All is all that to say is it would just be nice if he protected himself a little bit more. He's certainly physically capable. Not exactly asking Mitch Marner here to stand up to Dubois, who's just way bigger and would crush him. Like it, Matthews would be fine. He's a big dude. He would. Can I like, transition he here? Himself. And yeah, we're talking absolutely. about Matthews already. If the season ended today, where would he rank in your heart ballot? Would he be in your top three? Okay, so here's here's the thing that I've had trouble with for the for the heart ballot. Like how, like our dry side guys are having dumb seasons. Are are McDavid and Drysaddle just like one? Like I don't like. I've always had McDavid above him, and I don't know if that makes me crazy. The year the year Drysaddle won MVP still drives me insane, just because I thought he was the second best player on his team. But maybe I'm on the wrong side of history there. It's just weird because you could argue that McDavid and Drysaddle are one and two, but the fact that like the same team would have one and two, and they're not like I know they've had a pretty good start to the year, but I don't actually think they're that good. Is like it doesn't make sense to me. So it's like the Sedins, uh but I never always Crosby never Malkin, like they ever have a one-two year. I guess I don't know. They not like it's tough, but I do think I do think Ovechkin's right there. Ovechkin is just I couldn't believe how productive he's been so far this year. I he's think Ovechkin might be number one for me. It's been insane. But the, the reason I wanted o- to make this argument Ovechkin is, because- is literally like Russian machine never breaks. I wanted to bring up some of the things Matthews is doing this year because I think when you look at how much he's improved the defensive side of his game over the last year or two, it's night and day from where it was a few years ago. And total it makes it at five and five alongside Michael Bunting controlling basically two thirds of the shots and scoring chances. That's insane. I guess I should say scoring chances. I know it's just based on a heater and he's played one more game than him, but can we still just note that Troy Terry has the same amount of point as Matthews so far? And this is why I like using stats other than just points. I think there's a lot of indicators to suggest Matthews is doing so many things to get the puck to the slot and generate great looks at the net. And I think more of them are going to go in. The the Leafs should, the Leafs should, I mean, comfortably without blinking should finish in like the top seven of the league, but should probably trend towards top five, top three. A lot of projections have them at one right now. If everyone stays healthy. And Matthews is obviously the leader of the pack. He's sick. I think he's right up there for the heart. I think it'll just be, I think it'll be really hard to win it as long as McDavid and Dreisaitl are doing what they're doing. I think one of those two correctly or not is just going to get it just because they're lighting the absolute, like if McDavid hits like 160 points, he's getting it. Like if Matthews has a, if Matthews has 90 points and 40, 50 goals, and I get what you're saying. I don't, this is why I don't use points as my thing, but I'm just telling you the reality is if Matthews has like 60 or 70 less points than McDavid, no matter what numbers you look at that say that he was disgusting defensively and like a two-way monster, it will go to McDavid. Like that is how it will work. Jay Fresh had a tweet recently where he showed Ovechkin, Drysaddle, and McDavid. And he has all these stats that he pulls up goals, assists, points, even strength, offensive impact, even strength, defensive impact, power play, penalty kill, who you play with, who you play against. All these guys had very similar numbers in that they were 100th percentile, 99th percentile on all of the offensive metrics and like first percentile in defense. They just abandoned defense and said, screw it. We're going to lead the league in points. We're going to put up 150 points. And if we give up a few more goals against, we have a few more scoring chances against it's okay. Cause we're taking more risks to score goals and goal differential wise. We're providing value. And I respect the hell out of that from an elite offensive player. So I'm like, maybe I just need to watch him a little bit closer. Cause I saw that tweet and I kind of laughed and I don't, the odds to me that he is legitimately, and I get that this is statistical model and analysis, but the odds to me that he's legitimately like 1%, like worst 
defender in the league at forward. I assume that it's amongst forwards, not just centers. Who are we talking about right now? We're like McDavid, McDavid Dreisaitl, Ovechkin. Yeah. 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 So you're, but I assume that the, when it's the McDavid 1% defensively or 0% defensively road of the hell it is that that's compared to all other forwards. Right. Yeah. And I think what, when you see a chart like that, what you fail to realize is that McDavid, instead of hundredth percentile, it might as well say 300th because he's breaking it offensively. He's doing so much offensively that even the best defensive player in the league wouldn't be providing what he's providing right now with his offense. And that's where he makes up for it because of everything he's generating. And I I think statistically that's, we're not doing a good, good enough job explaining it that way, because I think sometimes you'll see the red on a bad defensive player and you'll assume, Ooh, not a 200 foot player, but if the offense is through the roof, it more than makes up for it. I just, my point is, is, if you have a below replacement level center, and this could be a this could be a segue into like Carl Semyoff, who I didn't Mike Amadio, let's say, below replacement level center, is McDavid legitimately worse defensively than Mike Amadio? I would say no. No, and I think when you combine his offensive impact and his defensive impact, you have yeah. his two hundred foot impact, and then you compare yeah. two hundred foot impacts. And you say, this guy's way better than this guy. So I just find it weird when you see a chart like that and then it like flags him as that low. I go, I get that this is based off something that's tangible, but are we really, is this really right? Well, and I get that measuring? you get it. It's, it's measuring you scoring it. chances against when he's on the ice, yeah. basically. And there's a yeah. lot of them. Morgan yeah. Riley. Yeah. The pros outweigh the cons. He's, he's getting more scoring chances than he is giving up, but there are scoring chances that he's given up higher than league average let's say yeah i just think he's sitting there and, and more so thinking like i don't care like uh, it like i'll make up for this no like, you should when fine. he's on the ice and, he's a t- he's in attack mode kale mccarr's yeah. built the same way yeah it's just and i get that you get it but i just see the charts thrown out all the time and i'm like i don't people just do not contextualize them well enough and i find it really frustrating but that also brings us to kuril semyonov but I'm actually Does sad it? to see you go. <laughs> yeah, because we were talking about below replacement level centers. If not, oh, okay, yeah, level. he might be. If not, yeah, I think Amadio, by the way, is maybe exactly replacement level. He might define what a replacement level player is. But yeah, pretty much, he's about as average as you can get for a guy taking shifts in the league. He's basically an AHL I'm, call up. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a quadruple. He's he's quadruple A. But the no, he, has he played 200 games in the NHL? He's such a weird one. I am sad to see Semyonov go. I wish he stuck it out. Obviously, he would have had an opportunity here. I don't think basically anything of Joey Anderson. I think they got murdered on that trade and nobody talks about it, which I find particularly upsetting. Andreas, Jan- <laughs> Andreas Janssen just had like a 15-point and 15-game run. He's having an unreal season. He's a really good player. And Janssen when- trade happened late in the offseason and they weren't able to get anything for him. It was a cap dump. Yeah, and then the Kapanen trade that happened well before it, they got a first round pick for it. So even even one one, you lost the other heavily. But we'll see if they've won. I don't. I think that's generous to call. It. The Leafs have had zero NHL games from that trade. Pittsburgh has had Kasperi Kapanen this whole time, and he's actually looked really good there. The Leafs have Performing zero games at a to show for second it, right? line level. Let's call it. And they yeah. So let's say you traded a second line forward for zero NHL games. For what a full season and a half already for a team that's trying to win right now, and I get it. There were cap implications and whatnot. I just I'm not calling that a win, and I'm not going to sit instead here. Instead of Kerfoot, maybe would be the argument. I think the odds that Amaroff is better than Kapanen are low. Yeah, you know what? We don't relitigate trades too often on this podcast, and I think in hindsight, I'm, I'm seeing your side I, there. That even though both, at I the time I, I, I thought weak. that everyone knew they were trying to trade Kapanen, so the fact that they could get the 15th overall pick for it, I always I was like pretty vocal about it before they did it. I was like, I would keep this guy. I like him. He plays with some jam. He's a blazer. His speed is a weapon. He's good on the PK. Yes, he's a little bit of a tool. I think like that was, was fans were starting to really appreciate that. Oh, you mean like Pierre Engvall dumb, like not making the right play off the rush. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like I'm, I'm off the rush and I have a step on this defender, but I'm going to skate into the corner and turn back for no reason instead of driving the net. Like shoot he did dumb you're stuff. supposed to pass it, pass it when you're supposed yeah. to shoot it. Yeah. He did dumb stuff, but the tools were too good. And he's been, he's been productive and pit and they have zero NHL games played for him so far. And I get 
that someone will sit there and say, wow, they moved this money to then bring in TJ Brody or whatever the case is. Take all of that. I'm just saying you could have got more for value, especially for on for on uh, for AJ. Like you're, oh, yeah, you're no, getting, I think ever. I don't think you no got a plug. They did well in that trade. You could have at least just get a second round pick at least, like get a good draft pick and and just see if you hit on it. But you literally I do got prefer nothing. draft capital to a, a failed prospect, because usually when teams are willing to trade away a prospect, it's not one yeah. that ends up being good. I, I, there's been research on this and it's not a very high likelihood. After teams will wait, trades teams wait too long to trade a prospect. They they're should not, trade earlier. Quick. If, yeah. if you can get value after a year or two by knowing a guy's bad. I remember talking to Bourne about this after the, after he coached uh, Andrew Nielsen. He's like, yeah, if the least could get something for him right now, like yeah. he's not. But most teams it. don't view it like that, <laughs> right? They like by the time a team trades you a prospect, they're going, we know he's shit. But like we know, like we were we were like we were kind of sure before, but we weren't a hundred percent, so we waited out. But by the time they trade you, they're like, we know he's shit. There are In also times cases. though where teams are wrong, right? There are times. I mean, Mason Marchman's doing all right right now. The Mason Marchman one is wild to me because I really loved him on the Marlies, and I was a big proponent. He of was their build a bear of a hockey player. They created him great. in a lab and made him everything he is today. He yeah. he was great on the Marlies, and I really wanted him to get a run. And then they eventually did bring him up, and he looked like shit. He, he did. And, and he looked way too scrawny for the league. And for even though he's like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, he got pushed around too much because he didn't weigh enough. And I'm like going, you're not a good enough skater to also go into corners and look like you're going to die anytime somebody touches you in this league. Six and, foot four listed at 209 right now. I'm not sure if right? he was lighter. Which is, still, which is still too light. But And you know who has bulked up, speaking of, is William Nylander. Because... I'm watching him hold off guys like he's never done before where he's getting that, the puck and he's he always dropping been good his at shoulder. That? He's always been good at maintaining puck possession, but not physically going through guys to get where he wants to go. I mean, he made the play against Minnesota where he dropped his shoulder and drove the net and he got robbed. And that's where everyone in his life, like Keith and his teammates, they say, yes, do more of that. When you do that, you're unstoppable. And then when he has games where he floats back on defense, you get frustrated with him because you know he could be better. And he's almost a point per game player this season. He's having a career year. I love the fact that Toronto, there are so many nights I'm putting the chart together and I see 21 minutes, William Nylander, 20.2 minutes, William Nylander. I'm thinking, yes, this is a first line caliber player. Play him. He's very good. But it's it's been a long kind of uh, what's the right word for it up and down for him with Sheldon Keefe in his life. I know when he was with the Marlies, he got benched in the playoffs. He got taken off of the top power play unit. Keefe's always tried to find different ways to motivate Nylander. I know Nylander's coaches have had no problem using negative reinforcement to try to get more out of him. And I know Shanahan's talked about this, that he's had, he's had coaches in his past. Scotty Bowman, he had. Who, yeah, if we have to get a bit of a kick in the ass, it'll help motivate us. You don't see that with Marner and Matthews, but you see it with Nylander. And I find it interesting. And maybe that's word, one word for it, because I know fans get really frustrated when William Nylander gets taken off of PP1 for a little bit here. or William Nylander gets demoted to line two. Late in the game, William Nylander's all. minutes are, are getting cut and Mitch Marner's aren't. See, I don't know, because at, at five on five, Nylander's been better this year. Uh, the power play, I think you can argue Nylander's been better this year. Look, I just think he doesn't it's PK, been, but well, actually he does PK now. I just think it's been it's been too many coaches that have have continually kind of gone back to I need to give him a slap on the wrist every once in a while to to get him back at it. I think Keefe is a more understanding coach than most other coaches in the league, if anything. Well, we definitely like to think that, right? As people who have a rooting I, I interest think, in this team. No, I think like proof is in the pudding. He he's quick to he's not very quick to demote a player who's really good on the team if they're not doing well, which I don't always agree with. But he's he's very much long game. He's a long game thinker in the regular season. He's he's sitting there going, this guy's really good. And I just know I need to give him his ice time and eventually it'll just figure itself out. He, but he, very had, much he hasn't coaches done that like with that. Nylander until this season. What? 
give him, Play him more? 17, 18 yeah. plus minutes a game. Yeah. Yeah. Which is wild. Cause he actually was under some illusion last year where Nylander was optimized at 16 or in change a night, which was legitimately insane. And you'd have Marner at 24 and Nylander at 14 some nights. And it, it I just no think Nylander plays like that sometimes. And you just got to sit there and there's nothing to say to him. You just go, just, I can't watch it. Take a seat. When it's an off and, night for Willie, it can be rough, but there are off nights yeah. for Marner. There are off nights. For, Agreed. There are off nights for good players. It happens. Agreed. It happens. I just think when, when Willie does it, I think he just goes, I can't watch this. I, I think the, and I get it. I get it. And, I know every hero rushes to Twitter to whine about it and fire up some retweets. There's nothing they love more than pointing out that Nylander shouldn't get benched ever, but enough coaches have done it now. I, I, at some point, not every coach in the league all time is an absolute moron. They've, well, they've the been one, around a little bit. How many bit. people in hockey thought the right move was to trade Nylander and was to get Nylander away because he was the problem. Freaking insane. If you watch him, I don't, I don't, I don't, when, when you it. say, when you say people in hockey, who do you mean? The old school crowd, I guess is who I'm referring like, to. Like, do you I mean, like, do you mean, do you mean like management on TV, in hockey? on the radio? I think a large proportion well, of NHL front offices would think of trading Nylander much like the Bruins traded Sagan. Well, well let's represent this right though. I, the argument that I most likely heard or most often heard in favor of trading Nylander which I don't agree with I would say this is Marner actually but whatever is the money doesn't work with too much money tied up into four forwards Nylander's on a fantastic contract Nylander is on a fantastic contract but the argument that I heard for trading him was often the money doesn't work and he has the easiest deal to trade you know when they have some last time that trade worked out really well for Toronto Nazem Kadri for one year of Tyson Berry and oh yeah, that Kerfoot guy. But I, I don't like, the I idea think those are completely trading. different things. It's the same logic of, Oh, well, Not we need really. to trade someone. Let's trade the guy on the best contract. I, I, they, I think they traded. I'd rather hold on. Part as, I'd rather hold on to the guy with the great contract. I think they traded as in large part because of what happened with Boston. They didn't trust him anymore. Yeah. in the playoffs, but, I think that's fair. Yeah. All that to say is I don't think we can, un- I don't think, you can unequivocally sit here and just say they were all wrong. Nylander's good because we've yet to see this team win shit. I don't think the question was whether Nylander was a good player. The question is whether the allocation, I think the question is whether the allocation of resources will lead them to playoff success, which I think is very much a still fair question. They have not proven anything. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. But I mean, there are, do you think Joe Thornton, I'm I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for them too. I don't think Joe Thornton was a winner. You think Steve I think Nash he was a and fine Charles Barkley player. weren't winners? No, they didn't win shit. Okay, so this is where I disagree. I just think a good player is a good player, and if they win, especially in basketball, a lot needs to go right. But I could at least take the Barkley argument because he was in the era of the Jordan. greatest player. Yeah, you ran into yeah. Prime Jordan. Like Jesus, like <laughs> what can you do there? But I mean, Nash was in some spectacular pant shitting moments. Like he was on some sp- spectacular pant shitting teams. As in a, a Steve sport, Nash, uh, obsessive, uh, Tim Donahue is the bane yeah. of my existence. Yeah, that's fair. And Robert and Horry and Bruce Bowen. But and, and I love oh, Steve I'm, Nash. I'm having PTSD but, right now. This is not great. But bringing up Joe Thornton is just a terrible example to me. I'll never forget. No, because you're talking about winning and players. And I just I, I know players impact winning, but it's a team sport. And more than yeah, one guy needs to put the puck in the net. I'm just saying I think the argument was that a lot of people were saying take a really good forward and get a really good defenseman and help your defense win. And we have yet, the jury has yet to play out on whether this four forward top heavy approach at one position is going to be enough to do it. I mean, didn't, what was Pittsburgh's model is Latang and Riley. Are they not comparables here? I thought Latang at that time is better than Riley now. And frankly, I agree. Sure. You know my opinion on Riley and, at five on five. And, I've established and, it here. And usually, I would say, uh, um, like Murray was a stud, or whoever Matt Murray even at that, which is funny now. But Matt Murray was a stud for Pitt anyway. But Jack Campbell is blacking out, so they're they're they have a gift right now on a contract, which they need to totally take advantage of. Yeah, I, I do but, think. Well, I think he's obviously not going to keep saving over what ninety four percent of the I, shots I, he's facing. That's going to I would. Out. I would liken it more to when Tampa had Le Cavalier 
Brad Richards and Martin St. Louis and it didn't work. If it doesn't work, that's what it'll be. That's what it'll feel like at the end of the day. Right. Okay. And then they ended uh, in up my trading head, I'm thinking they Dan didn't Boyle. Win. No, but like, but when they won the in 2004, that team wasn't that like I'm talking in like 2006, 2007, 2008. Oh, come when on, Cavalier make a better argument. We're lighting the league <laughs> on fire. No, but that Tampa team was way deeper at that time. But then the cap came into play and then they paid those three and it neutered their depth and the team would make the playoffs and lose in the first round. And then eventually they traded Dan Boyle for literally nothing. That trade was murder. People should go back and look it up. They got nothing for borderline Hall of Fame defenseman, in my opinion. Yeah, and he was great with the Sharks for the next few years. He was disgusting, and he was even good on the Rangers. And that's my point. The Sharks teams were great. I know they never won, but (laughs) Andrew Berkshire had a tweet a while back about, I think the Leafs are going to be like the San Jose Sharks. They're going to be an elite team for a long time and never win. Joe Thornton (laughs) in the Amazon Prime series. I know we've talked about it already in the podcast. In the room, Keith knows something's wrong. He pulls in the leadership group, and Joe sits there and shrugs and says, we're in first place. I don't see anything wrong. I'm sorry. He's not a winner. He's not. You can't convince me otherwise. Guys, you no. say the same thing about Manny Ramirez with all the shit he was saying, but then he won. Then he won. Then he was a winner. Manny Ramirez was sick when they won, though. Well, yeah, but before he, he won, oh, unreal. you can't win with that guy. Oh, with him and his antics. He doesn't care about the game. He's disrespecting it. And then he won. I never said that. And then he was a winner. No, but my point is you rewrite the narrative when you win. And I think a lot of the times in sports, we just we get stuck in these boxes and it drives me. I don't think it's it. I don't think it's a narrative for Joe. I mean, his career is basically at the end now. He hasn't won anything for him to sit there at that point and not know is stunning. Well, actually, he might. He might with Florida this year. Yeah, he might actually with Florida. He'll (laughs) he'll he'll be borderline black ace, but he'll be there when they did go to the cup. It wasn't because of Joe. Like Joe was really good. But Logan Couture was unbelievable. He was the leader, followed by Joe Pavelski, then possibly followed by Joe Thornton. And Didn't also Joe Martin Thornton Jones blacked out. Art Ross and Hart when he was on the Sharks? Which, which version are we talking about? Yeah, but you're, I'm talking about when they went to the cup. Okay, okay. Yeah, he I'm wasn't saying, his prime anymore. That's fair. Yeah, that, I'm saying like when he actually did finally get somewhere, it wasn't that wasn't on the back of him. It was on the back of others. And he was a really good secondary player on that team. Okay. And when I say that the ne- he was still super productive. So when I say secondary, I, I realize how productive he was at that time. We got lost here, by the way, but I wanted to bring this back to where I think people were wrong is that I, I think people were saying that Nylander is talented, but is he, is he good enough to warrant keeping on the team versus the defense you could get for him? I think the no, answer I is, think clear, he is clearly. Yes. The, the point that I was bringing about bringing up about the body contact is it was nice to see him. It's nice to see him creating offense in different ways now, because often what happens in the playoffs is you do have to be a little bit more physical to get to those areas and not just him. A lot of guys don't want that and they don't take the contact to make a play. So instead what they do is they take a, like a wrist shot from the top of the circle because they don't want to drive the net. The but pure this angle is the, shot. Yeah, which is like, it, at some point you need to drive the net. Like that's what happens in the playoffs. Like it's hard. Or it's you hard can drive, drive wide and try to sauce it through. But again, it's tighter. There's more bodies so packed in the slot usually. It's, it's tough. so hard. You have, to, you have to physically be able to make space for yourself to get where you want to go. And it's nice to see him doing that a lot more regularly now. I think that's going to serve him really well. He was obviously good in the playoffs last year. I would expect him to be good again this year. I have no clue what to expect from Mitch Marner in the playoffs. I pray to God that John Tavares stays healthy. Of the big four, he's and having the most disappointing season right now. Mitch? I mean, it's not it's not bad, but he, he we know there's a level up he can go from here, especially as a passer. As a shooter, I don't know what he is ever, but as a yeah, passer, we know he's led the league in primary assists before at five on five. Like he can be better than this. Yeah, and, and I've I've seen some stuff bandied about about the mental health coach that he has and whatnot. And I don't know, a lot of the stuff that comes out on it just seems it, it almost seems like trying too hard to say that you don't care. It's like, yeah, like I don't care. Like I'm not paying attention to these, you know, egg faces on Twitter anymore and blah, blah, blah. 
but it's almost it's I mean, almost it's a worth, little. I can relate to that a lot. I get that. No, I get that. But but the way it's coming across I is a little Shakespearean. I I used to respond to every comment on my Leafs report cards, and I don't respond to anything anymore. So I know, I know. No, I know that. No, you this market this market I'm, sucks. I get it. I'm I'm saying it's a little Shakespearean. Like Doth protest too much. You know. It's like you're going a little bit out of your a little bit extra out of your way to saying that it's not bothering me. You know, it's like a little bit too much. Like, it's not bothering me. It's like hmm, the way that you're saying it still tells me that it's bothering you a little bit. And we're going to find like, out. I hope he he's like okay. a natural extrovert who just like he's agreeable. He wants people to like him. And he has a, I, I don't, a group of people he surrounds himself with. Let's call it. I don't think he's don't an extrovert. I just think he was about. good at hockey growing up. <laughs> So it made his he, life like, easier. I just when you see him, when you see him on video, and you see you see him as like, his personality. Yeah, he's dorky, but I don't know if I would call him an extra. Compared to hockey standards of having personalities, I think he has personality. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I think the bar for what people consider personality is so low that we're celebrating like a weird ass <laughs> dance in the dressing room when like it's not much. But he would be the one. Every hockey and, player is John Tavares in my mind. And, and can we say to the power play with Spezza? looked unbelievable okay also Unreal. i'll say that the power play, the power play with marner when he works his way down to the goal line i love that version of the power play too you're, you're nodding your head did you're you saying see, no did so. you did you see minutes setting up below the goal line it was total dog shit did you one see of the worst five on threes i've seen in a while did you see spets and, and Tavares go back and forth to each other behind the net and then out to matthews for a one-timer that easily yeah. could have gone in that was a beautiful scoring yeah. chance five five on four i think it, five on four i think it makes more sense five, five on, on three, three when they did it it was five on three when the leafs did it yeah i know but i'm saying five on three the way minnesota had it where it was basically men in the corners below the goal line was terrible but matthew's sitting there being like do i pass to spezza for a one t in the slot or do i take this one t myself was dumb it was like in, a, in the best possible way. You can have, way, that, option. You can have that option with Nylander there. That's always been an option. I know, but then but then you have Marner on the other side if if he's there. What if you have Marner the on the problem. goal line? But then who's on the far side? So Marner's going to screen the goalie? I mean, does Nylander screen the goalie? You're thinking Matthews has the puck on the right wall. What if Mar- Matthews has the puck on the left wall? Then you have Tavares in the slot, Marner in the goal line, Nylander on the other side of the ice. Those are options. Yes, that's but that that part can be fine. But if you if you have Marner on a half wall, the other team will just actively ignore him. What are your thoughts on the least power play this year? Because they rank extremely high in all the predictive metrics right now. Scoring chance rate, shot rate, they're top two or three in the league in all of those. So they're doing something right, even with Marner on this half wall that you're worried about. I, I don't just, see as big of a problem with it, even though I know last year. It wasn't working, obviously. This year, there's much more motion. There's much more willingness of Marner to not just stick to the half wall. He's going down to the goal line. He's going to the bumper when he needs to. Sometimes he's rolling up high to the top. I think when you get that five-man motion in the offensive zone as a, as a power play with Marner on it, I think it makes some stuff interesting. I think if I'm you, I'm probably arguing, yeah, well, how much of that motion for Marner is actually doing anything? And wouldn't it be better to just make quick passes and go for one timers like you would with Spezza in his spot. So I I can see the pros and cons. I can see the arguments on both sides here. I just personally, I think it's tougher to stop four extremely talented players who can make plays and read and react to the defense. And that's why I'd want Marner out there instead of Spezza, even though I'm the one who's been screaming, you need a shot threat from the flanks. So, so I get it, man. So the, the power play is the one thing where I'll sit here now and just say I've been hurt too many times. <laughs> After the right? first like, couple month or two of yeah, success. Yeah, like yeah. it just it's not enough for me to sit there and 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 go, yet yeah, I believe in them. I think when Spezza was there, they had four legitimate scoring threats. I don't consider Riley a scoring threat. He hasn't been since that 20 goal season, basically. So yeah, that was an outlier. I think he's a below. I think it's safe player. to say. I think it's safe to say. Yeah. He also looks like he's lost a little zip on his wrister. Uh, but I don't think it was ever a major strength in his game. I think getting pucks through was a strength, but not the actual beating of a goaltender. Yeah. So all that to say is now they're down to three guys. I would consider a credible scoring threat or not. So I'm not ready. Yeah, sure. They look better, but they also 
you could go rewind the tape two months into last season. They looked sick on the power play. And then it and then it hit a rut and then they never fully recovered. We're not even at Christmas break, let alone the Olympic break. I'm not ready to say I'm sold on the power play. I'm sorry. They've earned that benefit of the doubt wholeheartedly. I can't sit here in good faith and say, yeah, I think their power play is good. I do think their penalty kill is good, good though. I think their penalty kill will be good the whole time. I, I have something I want to say about the power play soon, but when it comes to the penalty kill, what makes you think it's going to succeed in the future versus the power play where you have no faith in it? The only caveat I'll give to the penalty kills if goaltending goes down the shitter. Because okay, they do well, yeah, well, that really save good... percentage is so volatile. You can't do much to predict it. Yeah. They have really good goaltending, though. So that alone is very helpful. But, but a goalie I like can go their... on a heater or it can go through a really a, a big dip in performance. And sometimes it just happens. The, the main thing is, is I like their pieces on the penalty kill. I think their forwards are super active and aggressive. I think it's very repeatable what they're doing. I think they have a lot, a number of players that are instinctually very good at clogging up the neutral zone and making life difficult for teams. I think David camp legitimately is one of the best face-off men in the league. I think Spezza is a good little weapon that you can throw out there on if for the auto occasional face-off, although it's a complete disaster. Should he lose the face-off? And that's kind of where I'm thinking, man, I might just want camp taking it on his wrong side instead of Spezza. Yeah, but it's nice to have an option once in a while. I like the speed of, of Kerfoot on it. I like, I think Marner's fine on it. I don't think he's as great as other people do, but he's good on it. I think Mikheyev will come back and hopefully get his legs under him and be a weapon on it. I think it's just a super repeatable unit in terms of what they're doing. Andre Kasha, you crazy. forgot to mention, by the way. Yeah, Andre Kasha has also been great. Him and Kerfoot together. The instincts are really good. I just, I, I don't think they're doing anything crazy on the penalty kill. I just think they're good. Season on the line, two-minute penalty kill. Justin Hall on PK1? Yeah. I actually thought Hall was really good on that five-on-three kill uh, against Minnesota. I thought he was the best one of the three on the five-on-three kill. He's scaring he's, me, man. I a, always wanted me. to believe in him. Uh, but when he's back to his Marley's days, I was always he trying is. to say, hey, he can move the puck. I like certain things, even though Babcock thinks he's soft. He moves the puck, and defensemen who move the puck are hard to acquire. And he's not moving the puck this year. I think you brought up the fact that he had zero points in how, however many games. He got an yeah, assist on Cash's goal from below the goal line, which was such a fluky goal. But then again, his Hall's been going through so much bad luck in, in the shooting percentage department up front that I think he deserves something like that. But the bigger fear for me is I don't like Hall defending the rush right now, which has always been a big strength of his. And I don't like the way he's moving the puck right now, which has always been a big strength of his. And Dom had a great column on this, breaking down the Leafs stats, where they, he showed that Hall's been replacement level this year. Hall's been really bad. And Jake Muzzin hasn't been himself, obviously. But if Sandine's going to come back soon, I'm starting to look at saying, okay, what can we get for Hall? I saw Frank's up for Saravalli's trade list. He's in the top five of trade candidates around the NHL in terms of teams value him and think that they're going to give up assets for him. But I'm the no, least. You, I think they just cash saw, in on Hall right now. No, you saw this weekend why you can't. Because they, they, one of them can they, go down in an instant. You need 70. That, that was really the thing I was most pissed about because it instantly it happened. I think with this group of seven, if they make it through to the deadline, relatively speaking, you can sit there and say, this is my seven. And maybe you still entertain the idea of bringing like a Ben Hutton type in as your eighth kind of thing. Fine. What's the point? Because Ben Hutton is, is he even... just because it's just because you need D-man and it's hard to get D-man. And I don't trust anyone else really in the organization to take shifts. And it's not unheard of to lose two defensemen in a playoff run. I think Dubas says it's one defenseman around. So having an eighth guy, I think is a real thing for sure. And, and then it doesn't cost the Leafs much. And they're already a team with only three draft picks next year that just had a draft where they drafted three guys. So the first thing I thought of when I was going, oh shit, if Sandine's done for the year is this is bullshit because now they're going to have to trade something of actual note for an actual defenseman of note. I mean, the inner Travis Dermott fan of me was thinking, well, at least now he doesn't come out of the lineup. I I don't think, I don't think you could have sat there with that six though and said like, let's bring in a Ben Hutton type. I think you would have had to sit there and say, we need to bring in like a real NHL defenseman legitimate one man i was right? so upset the second sandy went down just because i was thinking of all the numbers that i've been citing but how 
elite I thought he'd been in his minutes and how much the, I the fact that, that he got hurt and then you thought of all the numbers you've been citing is the geekiest thing you've ever said your entire life. Top five. Is it? There's no, he way. got hurt. No. And I thought of numbers. Yeah. I'm, you're, I'm always thinking of numbers. I thought it's of a 21 year old that got hurt and is like first full season in the league and how much that would suck. Yeah. No. And the numbers are why <laughs> dude, like, come on, like, this is <laughs> I'm watching going, Oh man, that sucks for his life. And you're like, but what about that XG? <laughs> like, Give me that XG. How are you going to replace shit. that elite offensive impact? So that's, that's why I wouldn't trade whole, but I do. And all those things that you said are, are valid, but I don't think that they matter much to your original question about the penalty kill, because all you have to do is take a shot off the glass. You don't have to actually break the puck out. And and Nikita Zaitsev was always good at it. That was my joke. I'm like, he can yeah. ice it. He's great at icing it. Yeah. I also think he's like very active on the penalty kill. I mean, I don't think he is active on penalty kill. He, his aggression level is good. He knows how to pressure guys well. He gets in shooting lanes well. He's good when he goes down on that little knee and he almost has like a mini stick stance the way he holds a stick. So he's ready if he blocks it to shoot it out. Yeah, I, I think, think he, people I think assume he does a good job. you need to be cross-tricking people as a penalty killer. And I think you bring up a good point that you can do it effectively without being that intimidating physically. You can just have a smart stick, position yourself well, get in the shooting lane. He blocks a lot of shots without being yeah. a quote-unquote shot blocker that you'd think of. He just positions himself well. Yeah, I think he's a good penalty killer. And I also like having handedness on the penalty kill. It's a little bit easier to clear pucks. If you're TJ Brody and you get the puck, you have to like rotate your hips a little bit before you can properly shoot it. Right? It's like tougher, you lose an extra but he's half also been a, He's been a right-side yeah. defenseman for what a decade now in the NHL no matter what you always you still I'm sure he can handle it but you still give up something and in a game of like extremely tight margins it still matters so yeah game on the line I still would put out whole PK one no questions asked I'm certainly not giving it to rookie Timothy Lilgren who I like but I think I think we even started to see like as he plays more you'll see more holes in his game I think people are a little bit shiny toy syndrome on him right now. And I like Lilgren and I think he's going to be solid. And I've said on this podcast, going back to the summer that I think he can take shifts in the league and be an NHLer, and he's showing that, but you'll see more holes in his game come out as he plays more, because that's what happens with every young defenseman in the league. And I'm certainly wouldn't trust him over a guy who's has some cash in the league like, and knows what he's doing. Not yet. Anyway. So yeah, all in all, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't trade shit on defense. I think you keep the guys and you call it a day. I think you should apply to be Justin Hall's agent. That was a really good defense there. And I, I respect it because I've been thinking about trading Justin Hall a lot this season. And I think the, you might've talked me into keeping him for a bit longer. The only other thing I like to say about him, and I know we've talked about this as well, the off season at times of the main thing that a lot of, management types will talk about about any player ever is their injury history and i'm just i'm just not convinced we're looking at the same pace of play justin hole and i just i still wonder how much he's impacted by the illness or whatever the hell it was that he had that they thought was covid that it wasn't that he lost weight like he just he doesn't look like himself physically so a month or two from now you're wondering if we see justin hall back in game shape and it looks like justin hall again yeah like i wonder if we sit if if you're him and he's going, okay, I came back from it to start the season. Plus it was the start of the season and like our entire team played like shit. And Muzzin's I wasn't been myself. carrying me my whole career and he's playing like shit. They, they were all playing like shit to start the season. And then I get healthy for five games in a row. And then I come back and I'm trying to work my way back. By the into... way, think of the PTSD you must have if you're Hall and you're getting healthy scratch three, four, five nights in a row. Right. That can't be great. And then he finally comes back and, and he's since he's come back to me, he's been up and down. Like he's had some games where I'm like, he looks solid. And then he's had games where I'm like, Nope, he's still not out of the woods yet. Like it hasn't For just me, there been are straight moments, shit. There, yeah. There, Cause there's shifts where you'll see him have really good one-on-one -on -one defense to get someone off the yeah. rush and you go, yes, that's what I want to see. That's what you're good at. Do more of that. It's the puck moving for me. Puck moving has always Agreed. been his biggest strength, and I don't think he's done a good job of it. I was listening to a Sheldon Keefe interview recently, and he was trying to talk about flaws in their games because he was joking that it's, it's been pretty tough. We've been near the top of the league in a lot of categories, but our puck moving isn't where we want it to be. For, and I think he was specifically talking about the Muzzin Hall pairing. He didn't say it, but 
I don't think he's talking about Sandine. Sure. I don't think he's talking about Ryland. You know no, what the, I mean? There's nothing to say on those sides. So, hey, maybe we look back in a few months and uh, and Anthony's an idiot and he got this one way wrong. But I'm just I'm willing to ride it out a little bit longer. I'm willing to just see what he's like. I'm willing to see how it's all going to play out kind of thing. I'm not sitting here saying like this is the end of the world just yet. I don't know. Like I'm I'm not ready to give up on this guy. All right. So I think we've gone long enough for today. If you wanted to go another half hour on fighting, I'm, I'm sure we or not fighting on uh, shenanigans between Winnipeg and Toronto. I'm sure we could find a way to fill the. No, end. I think we need to teach you about shenanigans because these things like they it's this is the kind of gamesmanship the Leafs of gamesmanship the Leafs have shit themselves on in the playoffs for a long time now. I think like, there's definitely does... a component of hockey that a lot of the time I probably am ignoring, but I also feel hockey's got it wrong here. And it, it drives me crazy sometimes that they haven't corrected a lot of issues. Yeah, I think a lot of the things you say make make sense in terms of like, should this matter or should this be handled differently? Yes. But the reality is they don't. And then to sit there and just like pray to God that it changes or gets better, or, like wine or whatever. It's just like at some point you have to play the game a little bit, you know? Yeah. At the end of the day. Brad Meyer is going to be officiating a playoff like, series this year. So deal with it. I don't yeah, know. And, I'm, and I'm to, me, to me, that's gamesmanship. But that's gamesmanship from a coaching perspective too, right? Because God forbid they get a playoff game and he's, and he's repping it. If I'm Keith, I, I fucking take the fine before the game even starts. I'd come out before and be like, we've had this guy a number of times. We know it's a joke. I would, I would have it on blast. We have seen teams do this all the time. Phil Where Jackson's come out. famous for it, yeah. trying to gamesmanship, get himself fined by the I, league. I'm trying to get calls before this game even starts. This is where I'm I'm 150 before this game's even started. We haven't even taken warm-ups yet. I'm 150 out of 100. I'm ready to go. I do think that plays a factor. I'd have his back up on a wall. I because he as much as I'm, as much as you'll get a game with him in the regular season, the following season, where you get six penalties and he calls none in your favor. We're talking about the playoffs here and he can't show up a coach in the playoffs because that's how you get fired. Like he can't like Keith coming out being like, this is a joke. We can't have this shit go off the rails again beforehand. If a ref in that situation gives the Leafs a shitty call, everyone and their mother would know why they couldn't do it. And you can say, don't play the game and just do your I'm thing. I'm Whatever. praying for the day Austin Matthews works. draws a penalty in the year 2021 and Connor McDavid draws a penalty in the playoffs. Call me when yeah. that happens. It's wild because I saw that today, but I didn't exactly sit there and say like, man, Matthews is getting McDavid treatment. Like I very rarely have watched. And well, I and think been... the fact that you don't think about it is because it's engraved into your brain. And I think that's wrong. I think, do you think so? Like I, am I rewatching him getting like hooked and tripped and, and whatnot? If I watch Mc, if I watch McDavid, I actively sit there and go, look at the free throw like, leaders in the insane. NBA. Look at the free throw leaders in the NBA. Look at the top ten, top twenty. It's all the star players. But that's not look a the fair top comparison. ten, top twenty in hockey. It's not. But you can't compare those two sports. I think you way. can. I, I I think officiating in hockey when there's rule breaking, you break the rules when, to try to defend star players. When so there's ten skaters on the ice in hockey. The way that there's ten players on a court in the NBA when eight of the skaters move to the boards and we watch two players go one-on-one from center ice down. then yeah, we can compare those two sports like that, but that doesn't happen in hockey. There's moving parts in basketball. I think that's just, there are moving parts, but the best players will literally just sit there and be like, get out of my way. I'm ISOing. I don't, I don't think you're watching enough basketball. That's, that's not what happens the all the time. Doing. Happens all it's the time. The Chicago or, Bulls are doing. It's not the or they'll play, are doing. Or they'll play a two-man pick and roll. So four players are involved, but there's a primary ball handler. A lot, lot of high pick and roll in the NBA right now. A lot of high pick and roll. But, but it's I, all my, favorite basket, my favorite basketball to watch is where the ball's zipping around and all five players are involved. But Sure, that's fine. I'm just saying players are ISOing like crazy. And I'm often not... I'm not saying that Matthews has not deserved a single call the entire season so far. I'm just saying I don't find myself often watching and feeling the way I do when I watch McDavid play, which is this guy's getting crushed. But I don't necessarily feel like that in most cases watching Matthews. Okay. 
Me and Anthony disagree on a topic, believe it or not. It's it, it's happened <laughs> once or twice before. Show me the video again. Show me a, a bunch of clips of calls that have not been called against Matthews at five on five. It changed I mean, my mind. Go cut you it. Know, you know what? You're right. He's he's taken zero infractions against as I didn't say zero. I didn't far. say I just said it's not happening that often altogether. I think that's like, crazy to even think about that. Like if, think of the times he he's tried to break down a defense and the defenders got a stick in his way. You're telling me there's legal zero to me. Times. You're allowed to get a stick in a guy's way. That's a legal thing that you can do. And his pants and in a, in a way that impedes his progress, as it says in the rule book. Show me clips. That's all I'm saying. Show me clips. Hey, I'm, I'm good at gifting stuff. Maybe I'll, I'll gif up a bunch of Matthews drawn penalties. Maybe that'll Please be my do next. make it a Twitter thread. I'll be fired up. I'll retweet everyone. Oh, my God. That's so my following. Work. That's so much less than yours. Just to prove a point to you. First of all, that's huge. And second of all, you would you would totally lap it up like you would love it. You would. I, if you were dunking on me like that with all those clips, it would be worth it. Even I would find it funny. Please do. Honestly, I want to see it. I'm not even arguing it. Like, I actually think it would be helpful if there was more attention to Matthews getting mugged and not being called and you can highlight it with your huge following. I think it actively helps the entire team. I think you're that's the me, kind of shit. Please do sound like some kind of influencer here, man. I you are like it. You are. It will get <laughs> it will get attention. It, it will be one of those things where then it starts getting talked about more. Uh, please. Please be, be the change you want to see in the world. Dude. Yes. Come on, do it. Yeah. Yes. Do it. All right. We're getting out of here. <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. We'll be back next week to break down my footage of Austin Matthews and fractions that he's drawn this year. Take care, everyone. Have a good week. I know what I see